Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now with today's message, the Executive Director of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, Dr. Jim Richards. Pastor, thank you for the invitation to uh, fill in for you this morning as uh, you were coming back from a trip, and it is an honor to stand in this pulpit. We, my wife and I love our pastor. Well, let's look in the scriptures. We're looking in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 following. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I give you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray together. Father, may your word find lodging in our hearts today. Enliven us, help us to see Jesus, and help us to say yes, Lord, to whatever you say to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's get the setting of this passage of Scripture. We find Moses at the conclusion of his ministry. He's about to go off and meet the Lord and uh, die and, and go to heaven. But we find that uh, he is giving these last words, if you will, and the book of Deuteronomy is actually a recapitulation in many sense of much of what has been uh, transpired beforehand. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, just the chapter preceding of what we read, we find the Ten Commandments listed. We know that they're also listed in Exodus chapter 20. Many of what uh, is given to us is repeated as well here in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, if you will. Moses is about to uh, let them cross the land. He could not go into the promised land because of his act of disobedience, but now the people of Israel were about to cross over Jordan and go into the promised land. And he was giving them these instructions These instructions, of course, were to highlight the fact that there is only one true and living God and that because of Him being the true and living God, we are to worship Him and Him alone and then how that impacts our family relations and all other relations. And that's what we find in our text. Speaking about that family, family is dear to me. I had a wonderful family. My mom and dad were great uh, Christians loved Jesus and loved me and what a blessing I received from that environment. Many were not blessed like that, but I had that joy. And then God has given me a Proverbs 31 woman. She is a tremendous woman and uh, loves Jesus and, uh, and loves me in spite of me. And I'm so grateful for that. And then we have the three children, the three grandchildren and one on the way. So it just keeps getting better and better. As, uh, as we go along. So when we look at the family, we look at our culture and we see that family has been redefined. Marriage has been redefined. Culture has redefined so many of the biblical aspects of life. And so when we look at our families today, if there's 
any strength that we're going to have in our local church, it's going to be because our families are strong. Strong families make strong churches that enable us then to be strong in our culture. So today, let's look at the principles that we find on building a biblical family. In verse four, we find the very first principle that we're going to look at, and it is a confession of faith. Moses said, listen, hear. This, this term here is uh, Shema, and um, this is called the Shema. The Jewish people use this as their confession of faith, their profession of knowing the one true and living God. Jesus referred to the Shema. He said that it was the great commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, and, and strength. And then he added to it to love your neighbor as yourself, of course, the second great commandment. So the Shema was ingrained in the life of the people of Israel. And in this, they were going into a pagan land where there were other gods who were not gods, of course, but they were worshiped uh, by the people of that land. And they were taught that there is only one God, this confession of faith. Now we as believers in Jesus Christ also have a confession of faith. And our confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord was the confession of the early church. And in that, it encompasses many truths about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For we know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He did not have Adam's nature. He was the second Adam, the perfect man who never sinned. He lived a perfect life, never committing a sin. He died upon the cross for your sins and my sins because we do sin. And Jesus came and he suffered and died upon the cross, shedding his blood to pay for our sins in a vicarious substitutionary death. His lifeless body was placed in the tomb, but three days later, Jesus resurrected from the dead, never to die again. In his glorified state, he ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father today. He is our mediator, the one that we must go to in order to have a relationship with the Father, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And he's coming again one day. So we have one God, and he is expressed in three persons. So we have one God of one essence, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is our confession. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. He said in John chapter 14 and verse nine, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So they are in their oneness, the one true and living God. So we can confess as well with Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four, that the Lord, he is one. Jesus is Lord. And our confession of faith is to experience him and to know him and to love him. But there is a commitment that follows. Look at verses five and six and we find the commitment that we're to follow. When it says, listen or hear, O Israel, it's more than just the auditory reception. It is an inculcating of that confession of faith. It's not enough for us to just with rote state what we believe. 
but it must become internalized and we must have that experience. I had a buddy years ago who's in heaven now, but he had a, a retort every time I would say something to him and maybe comment, he would say, I hear you. He's kind of a hippie kind of guy, you know, I hear you. And he, he was expressing, yeah, I'm getting what you're saying. So he was agreeing with me, but I've had other people say, I hear you. And that kind of tone of voice lets me know they're not really connecting with what I'm trying to say. Well, when it says, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel, it's calling for a response, a commitment to follow. There is to be a personal participation. So in our families, we must not only have an understanding of who Jesus is and who God is, and of course the Trinity is inexplicable, it's trying to unscrew the inscrutable. There's no way that we can comprehend. Someone has said that if you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind, and if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. We can't understand it because God is greater than anything we can comprehend. But there is a confession of who we know, but there's also a commitment to follow Him. So this personal experience must be individual with mom and dad and brother and sister and grandchildren and grandparents, each individual must stand in that personal relationship, a commitment to follow. To really hear is to love the Lord with all your heart, your very being, with all your soul. That is who you are, your eternal being, and with all your strength, your physical abilities to participate. Now, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and following that there's none who are righteous, no, not one. There's not one that does good. There's not one who seeks after God. Now, there's nothing really wrong with saying that I found the Lord, but really the Lord's not lost. We're the ones who are lost. And in our natural state, we'll never seek the Lord. God wants to save us a lot more than we ever want to be saved. And He is the one who pursues us, and He is the one who seeks us, and He is the one who calls us, and He is the one who enables us. And it is yet our participation that we might make that commitment to follow Him, to love God. So it's not only just hearing our confession, but it is a commitment to follow what we believe and who we believe in. It is a personal experience. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. So those who come to Jesus, come to Jesus because God has sought us out. He is the one who calls us to Himself and He is the one who enables us to respond to Him. But it's our commitment, it is our yes to Him. And here it is. It's repentance and faith. To give all you know of yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as all you know of Him. And then to trust Him to rely upon Him. To repent means that you're willing to turn from self and sin and you're willing to turn to the Savior to let Him be the Lord. You turn the keys of your life over to the Lord, the authority 
to him. He becomes the boss, the master. And in that one moment, that repentance, and then faith to trust, to rely upon, to rest in what Jesus has done for us. It's not being baptized. That's a good thing and a biblical thing, but that's not being forgiven of our sins. It is a personal inward relationship with Jesus Christ. When I was a child, I, my parents brought me up in a Baptist church. When I was about six, I walked the aisle, told the pastor I wanted to be saved. He sat me down on the front pew and stood me up after the church secretary filled out the card and said, here's little Jimmy Richards coming and he's professing his faith in Christ. And I didn't know what I was doing. I got dipped in the water, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. We had an evangelist come some years later. I was about 12. He preached a, a message that was so powerful. I came down to the front. I knew that there was something missing in my life, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. But one night, two weeks before graduating from high school, in my parents' home, in my bedroom by myself, I opened the Bible that they'd given to me when I was a child to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new person, a new creation. All the old things are passed away and all things become new. And I said, that has never happened to me. And I said three words out loud, God save me. But it's not the words we say in a prayer. It's not the posture we have. It is, it's not the place where we are. But it is that moment where we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We repent and we believe. And in that moment, I made a commitment to follow. And if we're to have the kind of families we must have, then it will be incumbent upon each individual family member to say yes to Jesus today. Let's look at verses 7 through 9, and we actually get the benefits, if you will, uh, of this confession of faith and a commitment to follow because it's care for the family. This is how we might be able then to instill. Remember, here the Jewish people were going into the promised land to fight battles of conquest, and they would eventually be conquered themselves. The Babylonians first, and then the Persians, and we call them Iranians today, and then the Romans, and... Uh, Later in history, the Inquisition tried to stamp out the Jewish people as a race, the Nazis. And even today, the communists and others are persecuting the Jewish people. And because of the instilling of the Shema, because of the incorporation of this confession of their faith and a commitment to follow, even though they're in unbelief and are not following the Lord Jesus Christ today, they still have that family unit that is solidified around the, the Shema. And we now, as believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, we have our confession and our commitment, so we are to care for our family. Look at verse 7. It says, repeat them to your children. We're to teach them the scriptures. We have nothing else for to which we may turn other than the word of God. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So the Bible is God's guidebook for our home. It is our blueprint for our lives. It is the roadmap for our way. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me, 
John 5, 39. The scriptures point us to Jesus from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. There's this scarlet thread that runs throughout the Bible that tells us of God's love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to teach the scriptures, take the word of God as the absolute truth in our ever shifting sand of cultural desires. They say there are no absolute truths, but we look to the Word of God. So in our homes, we must take the Bible and teach the Scriptures. But we're also to tell the truth along life's way. Look at the next verse. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. We're to tell them the truth as, as our children begin to be prepared for conflict in our culture. It has the answers. Those who struggle with gender identity, those who may face racism, those who have questions about where life begins or how life will end. All of these questions, the questions that, that come, we have absolute truth in the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truth. We set apart our children. We set apart our grandchildren. We set apart our family units as husband and wife. If you're an empty nester, you still have the Word of God to guide you in all truth. And then to testify outwardly. Notice what it says here, that they would bind them a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. These were phylacteries. These were little boxes that would have scripture verses in them and they would tie it around their hand and tie it around their forehead. Made several trips to Israel and on the, on the flight from New York, there would be those observant Jews who actually would wrap the phylacteries on their hands and tie them on their heads and get in the aisle of the airplane and begin their worship service, their, their time of prayer. These outwardly signs were a symbol that they were to be a different and set apart people. They were to be unique. It identified them as people of the covenant. Now, I'm glad we don't have to wear anything between our eyes. That would really be distracting. I don't think I could keep my focus. But we are to testify outwardly. And the way that we do that as, as a family is we identify with Christ. Listen to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. For through faith you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. As we observed baptism at the early part of the service, we noticed how that the person came into the pool, how they then were plunged under the water, immersed, and then how they came up. And this is, of course, a picture of how we came into this life in need of Christ. We died to self to live a new life in Christ. Or how Jesus came and died for our sins and how He was buried and how He arose again the third day. When we're baptized, we identify with Christ. Whenever we put on the outward symbols of our ministry to our family. Every dad here is a priest and pastor to your family. 
We have opportunities with our grandchildren. We have opportunities with neighbors. We have opportunities with those that we can instill in them to testify outwardly and show that Jesus is there. We don't have to wear him on our sleeve. We wear him outwardly by our walk and our testimony. So they used the phylacteries in that day. We are to use our testimony outwardly. But we're to transmit it to others. Notice what it says in verse nine, to write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. In Galatians chapter six and verse 10, it says we're to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. And, and then 1 Peter 3.15 says that when we're given an opportunity, we should be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. So it's not just for the purpose of our God bless us for and no more in the home, but it is to transmit to others in our neighborhood and then beyond that we might be that witness and that testimony. You see, the Jewish people have something called a mezuzah. This was given to me by a Jewish guide and it can be nailed to the door. There are all types of, this one's made out of stone, it can be made out of wood or other types of material. And on the inside, would be the Shema particularly, or, or, or an Old Testament scripture verse, and it would be placed on the inside, nailed to the wall, and this was to be a symbol to their neighbors and to the world that that home was a covenant home, a covenant community home. Well, we don't have to do that in order for us to transmit to others our Lord Jesus Christ and our family truths we are to be that witness to him by lifestyle and by lips. Yes, there are many challenges in the home. I was brought up in a different era. In my day, my parents applied the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. <laughs> and I learned also from my mother and father the truths of the Word of God and a lifestyle that was given as an example to me. And by the grace of God, God has given us that privilege with our children and now our grandchildren and to see our children perpetuating that. My wife and I began our marriage night on our knees before the Lord, committing our home. And we've had less than a dozen times over these almost 46 years that we have missed when we pillowed our heads at night to pray together I have a family time of worship. Joshua said when he was about to leave his ministry, Moses left his ministry and Joshua became the leader. And then when he came to the end of his ministry, we find his words in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And it is the Joshua challenge that I'd like to issue to you today. As a dad, will you say, I'll be the pastor of my home. I will have a confession of my faith and a commitment to follow and I will care for my family. Maybe you're a single mom, will you be willing to do that? Maybe you're a single, will you commit to say, if I marry, this is the kind of home I'll have that it'll be centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you today to take the Joshua challenge and have that type of home environment and worship experience every day by the grace of God.
we have this privilege to hear from God in His Word and to follow Him. I trust you'll do it today. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for these moments that we've shared. Thank you for your precious people in this room. And I ask God for those who need to make that decision for Christ that they'll say yes today. Others who need to unite with this church, others who need to follow in baptism, whatever their decision, Lord, that you would give them the courage and strength and draw them by your spirit to do that work that you would have them to do in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.